What's going on, East Lansing? You are listening to the Spartan Red Zone, where we cover everything Michigan State football. As always, I'm your host, Dan Tyler, so let's jump right into the breakdown of last week's victory over Purdue. The lowly 1-5 Purdue Boilermakers came into town last week, coming off an embarrassing 44-7 beatdown at the hands of Nebraska. They also entered the game with one of the worst offenses and scoring defenses in the nation. So, essentially, this had all the makings of a blowout, right? You know, one of the worst offenses in the country going up against one of the best defenses in the country. And then on top of that, you add a team who had been giving up nearly 38 points per game against one of the hotter offenses, in my mind, in the Big Ten. How could it not be? Well, unfortunately for Spartan fans, it was far from a blowout. And unfortunately for me, far from my 48-9 to score prediction. Quite far. In fact, um, the game wasn't really secured until the fourth quarter. And, uh, you know, as it had in the first couple of weeks, things started off pretty shakily for Michigan State, netting only 34 yards in their first two drives. They also led up an 11-play drive in their first defensive possession. Uh, Yes, it ended in a punt, but it certainly wasn't how many expected the game to start. The Spartans' first score wasn't until early in the second quarter when linebacker Max Bullo sacked freshman quarterback Danny Etling, forcing a fumble, which was recovered by fellow linebacker Danikos Allen and returned 45 yards for a touchdown. Now, the good news for this, that was Michigan State's defense's fifth touchdown on the season, which leads the nation currently. The bad news, this was really starting to look like the Michigan State 2012 team and the early 2013 team. You know, a team whose offense completely relies on their defense to keep them in games and is unable to put points on the board themselves. The next quarter and a half were fairly uneventful, with both teams never really getting much going on offense. Purdue strung together a couple of decent drives, getting into Spartan territory, Uh, But both of those ended in missed field goals by kicker Paul Griggs, one of those from 41 yards out and one from 51 yards out. Michigan State's second touchdown, and essentially the nail in the coffin for Purdue since they couldn't do anything on offense against our defense, came in the fourth quarter with a passing touchdown. Not a passing touchdown from Connor Cook, but rather from receiver Tony Lippett, who has come to play the last couple of weeks after being pretty inconsistent, we'll say, the first the first four weeks of the season. Lippert received an end-around, which he threw to a wide-open Andrew Gleicher in the end zone for a five-yard score. This allowed Spartan fans to breathe a little easy, knowing there was no way Purdue could put up two quick scores on our defense. That ended up being true, as the Boilermakers only managed, managed excuse me, three more offensive plays for a combined negative three yards. After that, MSU ran the air out of the ball, when the clock hit all zeros, Michigan State came out with a 14 to nothing win. Again, the good news first, MSU improved to 6-1 and on the season and became bowl eligible for the uh, seventh straight year, which is a school record for Michigan State. This was also the first Big Ten shutout for Michigan State since 1999 when they dropped Northwestern 34 to nothing. Now the bad news... This was a definite step backward for the offense, at least in my mind. After appearing to finally have found some rhythm in the last few weeks, they looked stagnant all game. Um, You know, Connor Cook, after throwing for 235 yards last game against Indiana, he only managed 107 yards while completing 13 of 25 passes. 
Delton, or excuse me, not Delton Williams, Jeremy Langford had another good game on the bright side for the offense, racking up 131 yards on the ground on 24 carries. But despite his success, Cook and his receivers couldn't get anything going. Now, Coach Santonio was asked in the post-game press conference if he viewed this win as a step backwards. And he vehemently denied that, disagreed with it, saying that a win is never a step backwards, especially a Big Ten win, and especially a win that makes you bowl eligible. Now, I do agree that a win is a win. We do go to 6-1 and one on the season. You can't deny that. It's just a fact. We are bowl eligible. That's a fact. But I do view this as a step backwards, mainly for the offense. Now, since D'Antonio was hired, he has brought great success to this program. But that success leads to expectations. Now, every year now, this team and its fans, and including myself, expect to be competing to play in Indianapolis for the uh, Big Ten title competing to win the Legends Division, and competing to get a shot at the Rose Bowl. Now, these expectations mean that just securing a victory doesn't always mean that the team is moving in the right direction. Now, this team has shown the ability to compete for a Legends Division title, especially the last couple of weeks. Those victories over Iowa and Indiana were solid victories, and they looked like a legitimate Legends Division contender. So having such a poor game against possibly the worst Big Ten team, I believe they very well might be the worst Big Ten team, in my mind, is definitely a step in the wrong direction. And, and, and that's the reason why we didn't get a chance to crack into the top 25. It was looking like we might, after stringing together a couple of good victories, you know, people in the beginning of the year, everybody knew our offense, or excuse me, our defense was phenomenal. And they've shown that they are phenomenal week in and week out and are the number one ranked defense in the, in the country. But everybody had questions about the offense. Those questions lingered through non-conference play. But then going into conference play against Iowa and Indiana, they showed that they do have a legitimate offense. They had a good running game. Connor Cook got the passing game going. But that just wasn't there this game against maybe their easiest opponent they'll play in the whole Big Ten season. And I think that stopped voters from putting them in the top 25. I wouldn't have put them in the top 25 after that performance last week. So I just think when you're competing to try to win the Legends title, when you're competing to have a chance to play for a Rose Bowl bid, these are the games that you have to win easily. I predicted them to win 48-9 to because I thought they were prepared to go out and show everybody that they were a legit title contender this year. I mean, there was a couple things that happened I'll get into later in the show, but at the end of the day, I really believe that offensively this was a step backwards and they really need to regroup. I'm sure they regroup this week going into the Illinois game and try to figure some things out to to right the ship a little bit. But enough on that. Let's get into the three key stats that I have from the game. My first one going off of what I was just harping on, is 107. As mentioned before, this was a passing yardage of quarterback Connor Cook. Again, as I said, after taking some major steps forward in the passing game the past few weeks, they appear to have taken at least a step in the wrong direction. He completed barely over 50% of his passes and looked off all game, pretty much. On a few occasions, he missed wide-open receivers, including a would-have-been easy touchdown strike to Keith Mumphrey with just under six minutes to go in the third quarter. At that mark, with and I said just under six minutes to go in the third quarter, Cook had only 33 passing yards. 33. 
that's pretty ugly, especially against you know a, a team like Purdue, who hadn't been hadn't been playing well all season. They went in one and five. That's just unacceptable, I think, in my mind. But don't press the panic button yet. Cook didn't have receivers Aaron Burbridge and Benny Fowler to throw to for most of the game. He had been showing through the previous games when he was getting it going, Benny Fowler was one of his favorite targets. You take him out of the game, that hurts. Aaron Burbridge, one of our most athletic receivers, was on the Bolitnikoff watch list. For for those of you that don't know, that's the top wide receiver in the nation watch list in the beginning of the season. I know a lot of people get put on those preseason lists, but still, he obviously showed something in the 2012 season that made people say, oh, this guy could maybe be the best receiver in the nation. Obviously, that's that's a little far-fetched, but he's still a good receiver. What I'm trying to say, he was missing two big-time threats. They should be back for the game against Illinois. So expect Cook to move forward from this, fix a couple things. He was just overthrowing guys a little bit. I think he'll be fine. No need to panic yet. We'll see after this game next week. Tomorrow, in fact. So my next number is the number seven. This number seven stands for two things this week. First, last week's win over Purdue put Michigan State at 6-1, and one, marking the school record seventh consecutive season that the Spartans have become bowl eligible. Now, I grew up watching Michigan State football. I'm from East Lansing, and I remember when going to a bowl game wasn't a guarantee every year, especially in the John L. Smith era. But D'Antonio has ushered in a new era of success in East Lansing, where, bowling, where going bowling, I should say, is expected year in and year out and expectations are set to a more rosy heights now. Now, seven also represents the number of consecutive games this year that the Michigan State defenses held opposing offenses to under 100 yards rushing. Against Purdue, they only allowed 66 yards on the ground off of 34 rushes, which which comes out to a minuscule 1.9 yards per carry for you math majors out there. Now, after last week, they still lead the nation in rushing defense, allowing only 59.1 yards per game. That's pretty phenomenal, especially in in the Big Ten where a lot of teams are more smash-mouth offense. They try to get the running game going before they get the passing game going. And with a defense that can stifle the run so much, that is good going forward into our tougher stretch in the Big Ten season. Now, my last stat number is two, as in two consecutive home conference wins that this team has racked up. Now, I know this sounds kind of like an unnecessary and unimportant stat, but don't forget last year, or don't forget that last year, we didn't get a single home victory in Big Ten play. It's no secret if you want to be an elite conference team, you have to defend your home field advantage. A staple of D'Antonio's teams previously was defending their home field, but last season stepped away from that. And we were in no shape or form of competing for a Legends Division title last year. We went 7-6. and six. We didn't get bowl eligible until our last game of the season against Minnesota. Now, although wins against Indiana Purdue aren't exactly marquee Big Ten wins, they're the games that you have to win and games that let the team grow confident, confidence Excuse me, at home going into the tougher, tougher schedule that they have coming up in November. So let's get into the grade reports for each unit. So let's start, as always, with the offense. Obviously, the offense didn't have a great game. I don't want to be too harsh on them, saying there was a few injuries 
weather conditions weren't great. It was pretty rainy for most of the first half. So I'm going to give them a C minus. Could be worse, you know. But let's start with the good news first. I always like to start with the good news first. We won the possession battle, albeit by only two minutes, but still. Won the possession battle. That's a plus. We also didn't turn the ball over. That's never a bad thing. And along with that, the offensive unit committed zero penalties. Now, I had talked about on my last show, they committed 10 penalties against Indiana. That was the second time they'd committed 10 penalties on the season. Not just the offense, but some of those were offensive penalties. And that is the kind of thing, shooting yourself in the foot, that just cannot happen. And D'Antonio had said in his press conferences that that was something that they were working on through practice throughout the week. They were working on, you know, not giving up free yardage because when you, when you play those tough Big Ten teams, you cannot afford to give up free yardage. Well, that's exactly what they did. Overall, the team gave up two penalties for, I believe, 14 yards or something small like that. So good overall. The offense gave up zero penalties. That's great. So they're not shooting themselves in the foot. Lastly, for the good news, as I said before, Jeremy Langford shined again, racking up 131 yards on the ground the week after being named Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week. So he's doing it. We know that for sure. Week in and week out, you can count on Jeremy Langford to show up. But now for the bad. We only put up 14 points on a defense who allowed nearly 38 points per game going into that game. And only seven of those were scored by our offense. We only put up 112 yards through the air, which I thought was the worst part. You know, this game dropped our passing offense to 106th in the nation, averaging exactly 177 yards per game. Now that needs to be fixed if we want to make it to India again. The rushing offense is good. Not great. Top 50 in the country. They're doing what they need to do. But the passing offense needs to get things going more. I know the numbers have been going up steadily since Cook really got things going. But like I said, this was a step backwards. When you when Cook throws for 106 yards and the offense was previously averaging 177 yards, or they were averaging more than that, excuse me, they dropped down to 177 yards after that performance. That's just not going to cut it when you play the Michigans, Nebraskas, Northwesterns. I know Northwestern is 0-3 in the Big Ten. They are still a very dangerous team. You know, say you make it to Indy when you play a potential Ohio State or Wisconsin. That's not going to cut it. You're going to need a lot more than 112 yards through the air. So that needs to be fixed. Hopefully they worked on a few things this week and we'll fix it prior to the Illinois game. So let's move on to the defense. A+. plus. just going to go right out there and say it. Uh, what more could you ask for from this unit? You know, they shut out the Boilermakers, giving MSU their first Big Ten shutout, as I mentioned, since 1999, and their first shutout since 2011 when they blanked Florida Atlantic. Danikos Allen scored the first touchdown of the game, recovering a fumble for 45 yards. As I said, their fifth touchdown of the season, the most by any school in the nation. It's a huge step up from what people people forget about last year. They didn't score a defensive touchdown. So five touchdowns through seven games, definitely something to be happy about. And they only allowed two, excuse me, 226 yards of total offense and 66 yards on the ground. 
and they remain ranked number one in those two categories nationally. This unit continues to come to play every week and look poised to pace the Spartans through their tougher part of the Big Ten schedule coming up. You know that you can count on the defense to be stifling, to be stingy each week. It just is a matter of if our offense comes to play in those bigger games on whether or not we will win those games. So now special teams. I gave them a B. It's another solid day for the unit. Not much was done in the return game. Not much could have been done in the return game, though, especially on kick returns. Geiger, Michael Geiger, the kicker, didn't have much work to do other than knocking down a couple of extra points. Mike Sadler, the punter, got more work this week, punting seven times due to the offense's inability to move the ball consistently. On three of those punts, he pinned Purdue down inside their own 10-yard line, had a long of 53 yards on a punt. And this was huge for Michigan State in a low-scoring game. Sadler didn't allow Purdue to start with good field position, ensuring that they couldn't get a quick strike touchdown that would put themselves into the game. You know, most of the game it was 7 to nothing. If they could get a little quick strike touchdown like that, like you saw Indiana get a couple of those against us the week before, all of a sudden it's 7 to 7. And that's not good. So let's give out the five helmet stickers to who I thought were the five top players of the game. Now you got to start with defensive players. When you're starting with defensive players, let's start with Max Bolo, the heart and soul of this defense. Bolo led this defense, who held the Boilermakers scoreless, as I've mentioned multiple times. He recorded 10 tackles, which was a season high for the senior. Two of those tackles were for a loss. The biggest play was his seven-yard sack on Etling, forcing a fumble, which fellow linebacker Danikos Allen recovered for a touchdown, putting Michigan State up 7 nothing in the second quarter. You know, uh, Narduzzi, the defensive coordinator, always says how great it is having somebody like Bolo on the field for him. He said it is pretty much an extension of himself out there on the field. He knows what everybody has to do, where everybody is supposed to be, what their assignments are, who they're supposed to be watching. He's essentially, according to Pat Narduzzi, a defensive coordinator out there as a middle linebacker on the field. And he really came to play this game and paced this defense to, you know, arguably our best defensive game of the season. So going along with the defense, how could you not give one to Danico's Allen? You know, that that uh that scoop and score was huge. Without it, we could have potentially faced a zero zero draw against Purdue. Purdue in the fourth quarter. Seven to nothing wasn't exactly an ideal score for that time, but zeros on the scoreboard would have been plain unacceptable that play bailed out the offense who was mediocre through the first three quarters uh, along with that that was his first career touchdown so shout out to Denikos Allen on getting your first career touchdown for the senior uh, he also had eight tackles on the day adding to his team high 43 on the season all right so moving on the offensive side Tony Lippett is going to get one for the second consecutive week as he continues to look strong in Big Ten play uh, Lippitt led the team in receptions and yards against Purdue, recording five catches for 49 yards. His biggest contribution to the win was throwing the ball as opposed to catching it, though. As I mentioned before, in the fourth quarter on a trick play, Lippitt found tight end Gleichert open in the end zone for a five-yard touchdown. This capped off Michigan State's really the first strong offensive possession they had all game. I think it was something like a 76-yard drive 
They looked good and essentially secured the win for Michigan State. You know, everybody was saying we didn't even need a touchdown. Obviously, you take the touchdown, but you just needed to make it a two-possession game at that point to put away the Boilermakers. The defense was not going to let up two scores. So this really capped off the victory for Michigan State. And he looked, it was a good pass. Gleichert was wide open, sure, but, you know, Lippick, he easily could have run it in, but he showed some unselfishness and threw it to the tight end. First tight end receiving touchdown on the season. So good for him on that one. My fourth helmet sticker goes to Jeremy Langford, who continues to be the feature back for the Spartans and continues to prove he is one of the best backs in the league. Coming off his performance against Indiana, which included four total touchdowns, he put up 131 yards rushing last week. Other than his work rushing, MSU failed to move the ball well offensively at all, so they didn't allow him to get many scoring chances. But really, he put this offense on his back and carried them to, you know, I guess he didn't, the offense didn't carry the team to a victory, but he carried the offense to not holding us back from a victory, which is good. You know, regardless, this was another great performance for him as he continues to pace this offensive unit. You know you can rely on him week in and week out to be a workhorse. You know, he had 24 carries. He looked strong throughout the whole game, didn't appear to get tired. He runs physically, but he shows that burst of speed and continues to prove that he's a legit back. And now my fifth and last helmet sticker goes to the punter Mike Sadler. He once again gets a helmet sticker for his excellent work. He had more work to do this week than the previous weeks as Michigan State's offense forced him to punt seven times. As mentioned before, three of those seven punts were pinned inside the 10-yard line, and I cannot stress enough the importance of Sadler forcing the Boilermakers into poor field position. Defensive breakdowns happen all the time. Maybe not for this Michigan State defense, but they happen. You know, stuff happens. It's not quite the actual quote, but I can't swear on air. <laughs> you know, thankfully, Purdue didn't have any opportunities to, uh, you know, take advantage of a defensive breakdown and get a quick strike touchdown because they were pinned up in their own field position too much. You know, as you saw in the Indiana game, they there was a couple defensive breakdowns and they broke those for touchdowns. You know, what comes to mind is Tevin Coleman's 60 plus yard rushing touchdown just 61 seconds into the game. And, you know, if something like that would have been allowed to happen, if they would have had better field position and could have potentially done something like that, all of a sudden this game that was a one possession or one score game, excuse me, for pretty much the whole game could have been tied up. And then all of a sudden we're in a position to lose to Purdue, who's one of the worst teams in the Big Ten. You know, that is just not good. So shout out to Mike Sadler for ensuring that nothing like that would happen. So let's move on to uh, some questions and concerns. You know, I've harped on the offensive struggles enough for one show. There isn't much more to be said about it. Yes, Cook struggled after appearing to be in a groove the past few weeks. However, I don't think this is an indication of things to come. He was without targets Benny Fowler and Aaron Burbridge for most of the game, as I mentioned As long as Jeremy Langford keeps the rushing game solid, which there's no reason to believe that he won't, Cook will have ample opportunities against Illinois to right the ship. You know, I still have faith. I want to state that clearly. I still have faith in Connor Cook. I think, you know, everybody has bad games. 
wasn't good weather either, missing a couple targets of his. You know, he knows what he has to do better than I do or anybody else that our fans do. And he'll get the coaching, he'll get the guidance to fix those things going into a game where he will have the ability to succeed and succeed well during it. I expect him to bounce back against Illinois and I'm not too worried. A little worried, a little disconcerned, but I'm not too worried. Now my one major question from the game though was what happened to Delton Williams? If you listen to my previous shows, you know that Delton is my boy. I said it wasn't a coincidence that the offense started making strides forward once he was put into the mix at running back. You know, he they took off his red shirt in the Iowa game, and everybody can agree, the Iowa and Indiana games, Michigan State looked pretty dang good. You know, offensively too. We hadn't looked that good offensively in a couple years. You know, and I also think it's not a coincidence that the Spartans offense took a step backwards against Purdue when he wasn't involved as much. After getting 12 carries the previous week against Indiana, nine carries the week before that against Iowa, he only had three carries for eight yards against Purdue. As no word of an injury to him was mentioned, it brings up the question of why didn't he receive more carries? Langford was doing a great job carrying a majority of the load, but there's always room for a secondary back to give his legs a bit of rest, right? I mean, I'm not sure what happened with that. You know, all I can say is hopefully we see more of the freshman back tomorrow against Illinois. I think he's a big asset for this offense. I think he helps them a lot. And, you know, yeah, that's all I can say. Hopefully hopefully he gets a little more work tomorrow against Illinois. So speaking of Illinois, let's give a quick preview of who we got to face tomorrow. Now, for our fourth Big Ten game, the Spartans will travel to Illinois for Illinois' homecoming game to face off against the 3-3 Illini. They're coming off of back-to-back Big Ten losses against Nebraska and Wisconsin. Not good losses, either. I know those are two tough Big Ten teams, but they allowed 39 points and 56 points in those games, respectively. You know, Although their record might not show it, Illinois' record, that is, This team is much improved from last season. You know, they feature a high-powered offensive attack led by the fourth-year starter Nathan Shieldhouse. Uh, Shieldhouse ranks in the top 20 nationally in passing passing efficiency, 158, and completion percentage with just over 65% completion percentage. You know, he likes to attack his opponents early and often, uh, ranking third in the nation on first-down QB rating behind Ohio's Tyler Tettleton and Florida State's Jameis Winston. He's also 8th in the nation in first-half passer efficiency, ranking just behind Texas A&M's Johnny Manziel. You recognize any of those names? You know, it's that's good company to keep. You know, when you hear the names of the 2012 Heisman winner and possibly the most electric college football player there is right there, Johnny Manziel, and a lot of people's 2013 Heisman pick through seven games, Jameis Winston from Florida State. You know, so Shieldhouse is a big threat and is not to be slept on. Now, along with him, sophomore, excuse me, running back Josh Ferguson is also a threat to keep an eye on. 
He's leading the team in both rushing and receiving yards and also leads the nation in receiving yards per game for running backs with almost 58 yards per game. His team is especially dangerous at home, offensively that is, as they've averaged over 42 points per game at Memorial Stadium this season. So we got to watch out for that as we travel to Memorial Stadium this season. Now on the other side of the ball, this team has struggled a bit on defense. They're allowing over 32 points per game and over 454 yards per game of total offense so far. It's a good game for Michigan State's offense to try to get back on their feet after the tough, tough outing against Purdue. But this Illini defense does have a solid linebacking core. They're led by senior Jonathan Brown, who happens to lead the Big Ten with 11 tackles per game. That stat is also good for eighth nationally. And now he's not, it's not like they just have one good linebacker. Behind Brown is sophomore Mason Monheim, who was a freshman All-American last season and is averaging just under eight tackles per game. Now as for special teams, their main weapon is returner Vangelo Bentley, who leads the Big Ten and is ranked sixth nationally with an average of just under 31 yards per return. That includes a 100-yard return kickoff for a touchdown in their season opener against Southern Illinois. So, you know, don't our, – our special teams have been doing well, but, you know, don't sleep on this guy. He's a speedster. But with all that being said, I don't think this team should be too tough of a task for the Spartans. The Illini offense is good, but they haven't matched up against a defense like Michigan State's all season. I know I say that every week, but it's true. You know, we have arguably the best defense in the country – the number one total defense in the country statistically. You could argue for some of these SEC defenses that they're you know, better if they were to match up face-to-face, but at the very least, Michigan State boasts one of the best defenses in the nation. Our offense should be able to, to put up enough points to secure a solid victory on the road. The only thing I can see stopping Michigan State is themselves. Now, it's no secret next week is a huge game when Michigan comes into town. You know, just going around campus, I hear most students are looking past tomorrow's game and they're looking forward to the Michigan game. How could you not? You know, everybody, the big rivals come into town. It also happens to be on Halloween weekend, so things are going to be a little wild and crazy in EL. You know, but this this Illinois team isn't to be overlooked. Any team with a talented fourth-year starting quarterback in the Big Ten like Shieldhouse is always dangerous. And if Michigan State plays like they did against Purdue last week, they will lose. No doubt about it. They will lose if their offense does not come to play like like they did against Purdue. We'll likely need to put up more than 14 points to best an offense like Illinois has. And they won't be able to rely on their defense to score half their team's points each week. The the defense very well could score a, a touchdown. I'm not saying they won't. But we just can't rely on that to happen. But but as I've said, I think this offense will step up this week, our offense that is, and that is why I predict the Spartans to top the Illini winning 30-16, to picking up a solid road victory against Illinois going into the big rivalry week when Michigan comes into town. So let's cap off this show with my final words. Uh, This one other than last week, has a little bit more of a Michigan State feel to it. Now, people around campus have been pretty heated about the fact that Michigan State isn't ranked in the top 25 yet. I have to say, though, as a Michigan State fan, 
I don't think this team has consistently shown that they deserve to be ranked in the top 25. The first couple of games against Western and South Florida were ugly wins and against weak opponents too. You know, those are games that a top 25 team should win easily. You know, they then went on to easily handle FCS opponent Youngstown State. Nothing to say there. Any decent Big Ten team should handle an FCS team like that, let alone a top 25 team. You know, after that, they lost on the road to Notre Dame, which is a respectable loss on paper, but they certainly didn't play like a top 25 team. You know, they showcased their stout defense well, allowing only 17 points, but they also showcased how poor their offense could be even more. And then D'Antonio's head-scratching move to replace Cook with Maxwell for the last drive, you know, that just shows voters around the country that, you know, maybe this team could have been worse than the 2012 version, who, as I said before, they went 7-6 and six and were nowhere near sniffing the top 25. However, we then went on to look good offensively in the next two games, you know, quelling some doubts that people may have against us, defeating Iowa and Indiana. You know, I thought those two games that they played like a team deserving a top 25 ranking. But they still needed a little bit more. They needed to show a little bit more after that loss to Notre Dame. Now, I think they could have cracked the top 25 if they had a resounding win against a weak Purdue team. But as we all know, they barely squeaked by 14 to nothing. Again, they showcase a lack of talent offensively. You know, that just doesn't make voters feel comfortable putting them in the top 25. You know, they they strung together a couple of straight good weeks of offense and then turned around and just didn't really do anything, you know? So I think going forward, a solid victory over a decent Illinois team can get them a spot anywhere from 23 to 25 in the rankings going into the Michigan game. You know, but they will need to showcase some offense, some offensive talent uh, on Saturday against against Illinois if they want if they want to be in the top twenty five. If Michigan State fans really want to see their Spartans in the top twenty five, you better hope this offense comes to play a little bit more. So you know, if if they do live up to my uh, scoring prediction, which we all know they uh, didn't really come close to last week. You know, putting up 30 points against Illinois, winning by a couple touchdowns, I think that will be enough to get them a top 25 ranking. But if Michigan State fans really want to continue to complain about not being ranked, they'll just have to wait until until it really starts to heat up in November when the schedule gets tough. Now, obviously, they start off with Michigan, then they have a bye week, and then they go at Nebraska and then at, at Northwestern in four weeks. Now, if they can come out of that stretch... With, I believe, two out of three wins, they'll have shown voters that they deserve not just a top 25 spot, but likely a spot within the top 20. You know, Michigan, that's a rivalry win. Michigan's ranked in the top 25. Nebraska as well, that would be a good road win. against. A, I mean, I'm assuming they'll still be in the top 25. Who knows? But currently a top 25 program. And then Northwestern, They've fallen on some hard times. But don't forget, a few weeks ago, they should have beat Ohio State. I watched that game. I watched the recording of that game. I really think that they let that game go in the end. They had Ohio State's number. That obviously had a hangover loss to Wisconsin. It wasn't a good loss. They got 
just dropped 31 to 6 I believe but you know hangover hangover losses happen unfortunately for Northwestern they let the hangover carry on to the week after that which is unacceptable and rare for a Pat Fitzgerald squad when losing to Minnesota but this team is still incredibly talented they didn't have weapons Kane Coulter and running back Venrick Mark against Minnesota they'll have them back later in the season this is still a really good team you know, I, I thought Northwestern is one of the best teams in the Big Ten. So, as like a road victory, pretty much what I'm saying is a road victory against Northwestern would look good for these voters if they know anything about the team and don't just look at their record. You know, but until then, calm down, Spartan fans, because nothing has been proven yet. You know, a reason why Michigan is ranked and Michigan State isn't, a lot of people are complaining that Michigan's ranked and State isn't, is Michigan just has a better win. You know, they beat Notre Dame, a team who we lost to. I know they played them at home and we played them on the road. But still, that's, that is their marquee win, and we are yet to have, you know, a solid marquee win. Iowa's a good win, but it's not a marquee win, and I think we need to wait until November until we have the opportunity to get one of those. So sit tight until then and don't hold your breath. We also still have a tough matchup at Illinois coming up tomorrow. So just wait for it, State fans. But that's all I have to say for today. Keep it easy, East Lansing. This is the Spartan Red Zone. I, again, I'm your host, Dan Tyler. And I'm just saying go green. <laughs>